If you would, turn in the Bible to Job chapter two, back to Job. Now, last week we were in Job, but we bounced over to chapter 19, so to make it uh, more so fitting with an Easter passage. But today we go back to where we have been at Job chapter two. If you're new here today, then we want to uh, let you know that what we do is we just want to walk through the Bible. We want to choose passages or choose a book and go through it. And so two weeks ago, or that was Palm Sunday, three weeks ago, we finished up Job chapter one, and now we'll pick right up and we will start Job chapter two, and next week we will pick up right where we leave off today, all right? And so if you haven't been here, we're gonna try to catch you up a little bit, but if you have been here, then hopefully you're following right along and you're understanding all that's happening uh, in the book of Job. What happens here at chapter two, where we're gonna start today, is it's kind of like the second scene, if you will, because what happened in chapter one basically is about to happen again in chapter two. And I hope that you're interested or engaged. I know you've all seen part one of a movie before and you didn't like it, and so you didn't even watch part two, right? That happens sometimes. But I know sometimes you saw the first episode or part one and you thought, I cannot wait for the second one, right? It's kind of how I am this morning with Job chapter two. I'm ready for this. I'm ready for us to get into chapter two. What happens here, okay, in the Bible, in the book of Job, is the angels come to check in with God. That's what it seems to be saying. And Satan is among them. And God says to Satan, what are you doing? And Satan says, I'm going all over the earth looking for somebody to get. And it's God's recommendation, what about Job? What about my guy? He's the best guy. He's the most blameless and upright And so Satan says, well, come on. I mean, the only reason he worships you is because he's got it so good. You let me do some damage in his life and he will curse you. And the unfolding of chapter one is that playing out. And God allowed Satan to take all of his possessions, all of his wealth, all of that he had earned, all of his pride, if you will, and God and Satan destroyed all of it. And then the worst part of that is that Job had 10 children and Satan killed all of them. At the end of that, at the end of chapter one, Job did not curse God. He held on. He believed. He trusted in the Lord. He blessed God. He did not curse God. That's chapter one. And then we get to chapter two. Read with me. Beginning in chapter two through the first 10 verses. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. 
So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The book of Job is a true story that comes to us from way, 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 way back in the day. In our introductory sermons weeks ago, I showed y'all why we think that it is so old. There's no mention here of Israel. There's no mention here of the kingdom. It goes way, 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 way back. You have here Job's wealth being measured simply not in money, but simply in how much stuff he has, how many animals, how much livestock, things like that. This is an old, old book, but a true story, and one that really helps us think through suffering. As Matt prayed and read from James chapter five, we see that the New Testament and James, the brother of Jesus, considers Job to be a real life example as he mentions him in chapter five. That's why we just read. Job is an example of us of pushing through and holding on and continuing to believe in a good God even through hardship, trials, and suffering. The Bible does not say that it's easy. The Bible does not say that it will necessarily get better this side of heaven. But the Bible does teach us that we can hold on to God until heaven, knowing that he is holding on to us. The book of Job teaches us this, and chapter two is yet another picture. Four points here for you this morning, and the first one is God notices the details. Number one, God notices the details. If we start here at chapter two, verse one, you can see again, which I've mentioned to you several times, that Job is really well written, especially these first two chapters, right? Starts off like this. Again, there was a day. It's, it's drawing you in, right? But it says this type of thing a lot. Uh, chapter one, verse six, now there was a day. Chapter one, verse 13, now there was a day. Chapter one, verse one, there was a man, right? And so you can see this is well written. It's a telling of a story. It's a, it's a story that kind of, gets our interest, and it grabs our attention, and here we are. Now, there was a day, and it's very, very similar in these first few verses as to chapter one. You got the sons of God coming to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. But notice that chapter one starts, uh, stops right there. Chapter one says Satan also came among them, but chapter two says to present himself before the Lord. You remember I had said at chapter one, like, hey, was Satan supposed to be there? Did he just show up with some of these old angels that he used to run with, and now he's a fallen angel, and so he doesn't hang out with them anymore? What was he doing there? Was he supposed to be there? Was he not supposed to be there, right? But chapter two says that he came among them to present himself before the Lord. That's a little bit different. Everything is accountable to God. Angels are accountable to God. 
bad angels are accountable to God. Fallen, evil, dark, satanic angels are accountable to God. And do not leave here today not believing that you are accountable to God. You and me both are gonna answer to God for every single word we speak, every single web page we look at, and every single encounter we have with a stranger. We are accountable to God. That's not a fear tactic to try to make the world a better place. That's Christianity, that we should live as humble people under the God and Father that made us. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. Notice the details here. First, in chapter two, Satan presents himself before the Lord. But what about verse two? The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan says the same thing. That all sounds the same in verse two. But now notice verse three. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? That's exactly the same as, ver as chapter one. But this next sentence is different. It is not in chapter one. Look what it says. He still holds fast his integrity. Y'all, God notices the details. God is fully aware of the scene that unfolded from chapter one. God knows that the Chaldeans came and attacked Job and his land. God knows that the Sabaeans came and attacked Job and his land. God knows that all of Job's livestock, the thousands and thousands and thousands of livestock are dead. God knows that a storm came, a tornado, if you will, came and crushed the home where all 10 children were and they all died. God knows that. God sees every single bit of it. And the result of that was Job still holds fast his integrity. God sees the integrity of men and women. Now, there's a big conversation in the world about being men and women of integrity and character. And I like that conversation. I'm all here for it, and I hope that we are. But when we Christians speak about integrity and character, we speak about it from an accountability before God and a humbleness, a humility underneath him and an awareness that the power that we get from God is what drives us to live upright lives. We're not looking around to see who's listening to see if I still speak with character. We're not looking around to see who's in the room and making sure that I don't say the wrong thing in the wrong place. Our apologies don't say, hey, if that offended you, then I'm sorry. We're, our integrity and character is so much bigger and so much more real and so much deeper than that because whether you hear me or not, I know that God hears me. Whether you see me or not, I know that God sees me. It should be a conviction of mine to guard my heart and keep myself pure from anything in this world, not because my wife might find out, not because y'all might think less of me, not because it would be a bad influence on my children, but because God notices every single thing. And boy, does he. He is now telling Satan that Job holds fast his integrity. 
It was impressive enough in chapter one when he said, what about Job, man? I recommend him to you. He's blameless, upright. He fears God. He turns away from evil. He says that again in chapter two. But now we see that he just doesn't see, you know, God is not like a thousand miles away looking down and saying, well, there's a good man and he's not such a good man. This, you know, it's not that. He is noticing the details of what just happened. He recommended to Satan, can you do this to Job? And Satan does this to Job and God sees how Job reacted. He sees the reaction. He sees what we're going through. In other words, God knows how hard you have it right now. He does. You know, I find myself praying all the time, like trying to let God know how hard of a time I'm happening. Maybe you pray that way too. God, I just needs you to know, man, I'm, I'm struggling here. God, this is hard on me. Can, can you help me? And God if, if, God, if you would just fix it just this one time, I, I promise I'll be better, right? And I pray like that. And this right here in Job is reminding me that he notices the details. He doesn't miss anything. And we should be reminded of this when we hear things like, God knows how many hairs are on our head. Right? God notices the details. We should be reminded of this when God tells us that he has a name for every single star. Haven't you seen a picture of a night sky from a telescope and then they tell us that there are countless stars? They're like unlimited stars. But God says he has a name for every one. He didn't just say, yep, those, those are my stars. No, it's there's Josh and there's JJ and there's Eli and there's Noah, right? He named, probably didn't name them that, but he named them. He has names for them. The details matter to God and the details of my life and your life matter to God and the details in our suffering and how we respond matter to God. The details of our integrity matter to God. And sometimes we try to convince ourselves, well, I'm still a good person. I just had a bad day or I just have a bad day or I just have a hang up and I just always struggle with this and I'm not human. And we try to talk about it like that. But notice that God is the one who sent Job, uh, sent Satan after Job. That was God's recommendation. And God is the one who notices his integrity after the fact. God notices the details. I wanna remind you, Job does not know about Satan. We have no mention of that throughout the whole book. You and I have the great benefit of reading this book and understanding our lives and our faith and our Christian lives and our spiritual lives in light of this great book. Job does not. He is only thinking about God through this. Last Sunday, that's why I made the point that God is the most important thing to Job. Everything Job deals with, he thinks about it through God. And I want to recommend that to you as well. What we have here is God noticing the details. But Job doesn't know those details. Job is trying to figure it out. John MacArthur says, sometimes suffering is caused by divine purposes unknowable to us. You need to be comforted here today that God has a plan in your suffering and he may not let you know that plan. You need to be comforted here today that God has a plan in your suffering and he may not let you know that plan. He never lets Job know. But you can be comforted knowing that he knows and he notices the details. One other point here. Look here at what it says at the end of verse three. 
We have God here flexing again, if you will. I said that last week. He says, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. This word destroy is a good word with Satan. I'm gonna use it here in a minute again. But when Jesus talked about Satan in John chapter 10, he said, I came to give you life and have it more abundantly, but he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. God, Jesus uses the word destroy and God uses it here. But look what he says. God says that Satan incited God against Job to destroy him without reason. And that's a good word right there. And I wonder if you've picked up on this. That word without reason, in the English it can be a little bit different, but it's the exact same word in the original as chapter one, verse nine. Look at chapter one, verse nine. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? So what God has just done here is he's used the very phrasing, the very wording that Satan used to say, that's why he worships you. God spins it back on Satan and said, you didn't have a reason to go after Job. You didn't have a reason to accuse him that he would curse me. You said he would curse me, and you were wrong, Satan. I said I would keep him, and I was right, Satan. You used the phrase without reason, and you used it wrongly. I used the phrase without reason for you because you did not have a reason. God uses the exact same word, talking back to Satan, to put Satan in his place. Satan said he worships God for no reason, but God said, Satan, it's actually you who destroys people for no reason. Christine Kane says, sometimes when you are in a dark place, you think you have been buried, but actually you have been planted. That's good, isn't it? Sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but actually you've been planted. And what happens when something's been planted? Soon there will be growth, right? Soon there will be growth. May you be searching for growth in your heart and in your life and in your faith because you know that God notices the details. Number one, God notices the details, but number two, Satan is nasty with his destroying Number two, Satan is nasty with his destroying. This is a part of the story that is heavy. Satan is ugly and evil. And I know we're reading it from the big picture. We kind of know how it ends. I've read the book of Job before. It ends in a good way. And there's a sense in which you don't grasp just how bad this is. You know, I said this in the middle of the week when we were studying the book of Acts. Acts chapter seven tells us that Stephen was martyred, right? He was stoned right outside the city and killed for his faith. And Saul was standing on giving approval of it. And Saul, through that, ends up being converted and he turns into the apostle Paul. And when you know the whole story, you're just like, yeah, Stephen was martyred and God used it and now we got Paul. I mean, it's pretty cool. You hear that a lot. And if you're not careful, you end up forgetting 
that on one day, Stephen was selected as a deacon to serve food to widows because he was such a high character man. And on the very next day, he's falsely accused and stoned to death. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that these are true stories that really happened and they weren't very pretty. There's a reason why you don't find many children's Bibles that have the story of Stephen. Same thing happens sometimes with the cross of Christ, doesn't it? God gave his son Jesus to be tortured and rejected and despised and killed at the hands of lawless men. People who hated him, people who were raging, people who were gnashing their teeth, chanting out, crucify him. They hated him. It was ugly and dark. And we need to see this. This is the way Satan is. There's not a way to pretty it up. And we should not come to church or to our Bibles and try to pretty it up. Satan is nasty with his destroying. And this is what we see in Job chapter two. Look with me at Job chapter two, verse four. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Come on, God. And you start to see here that Satan is just crooked. He's arguing back with God. Don't you hate it when somebody gets argumentative? Don't you really hate it when somebody who should never backtalk gets argumentative? Don't you hate it when you see a child like with anger and frustration and with a raised voice go back at the parent? Ooh, I can't stand that. If nothing else, you ought to shut up. And Satan is like that here. He is telling God that God's wrong. And he already did it the first time and Satan's the one that was wrong. And he's coming at him again. He's coming at him again. This is terrible. It's nasty. It's ugly. It's full of a heart that wants to destroy. He was wrong and he was done wrong and he was humiliated and he was embarrassed. And all of that, he was proven that he was not right. And he keeps coming back. The first time he said it's because Job had it so good. Well, he took all that away and did all that he can, and now Job doesn't have it so good, and he still blesses God. He's not cursing God. So Satan just digs in deeper, and he says, well, it's, it's really all about life. It's not about the stuff now. It's, a, it's about the life. Satan says in verse five, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. Okay, this is what he said in chapter one. He will curse you. He says it again. Verse six, the Lord said to Satan, behold, he's in your hand, only spare his life. So now God is allowing Satan, remember that's how it works. God is allowing Satan to do anything to Job's body, to his health. He just cannot kill him. Wouldn't you think that if somebody had even an ounce of goodness or compassion inside of them. And they heard of a man who was a good guy by all accounts, who just lost everything, all of his stuff, all of his money, all of his well-being, and just had not one child die because it is hard to lose a child. He didn't have one child die. He had all of his children die. Don't you think that there would be a little bit of compassion or sympathy or empathy or don't you think there would be a little bit? Not with Satan. Satan is nasty. He's not giving you good advice. He's not trying to help you out. 
He's not trying to put you in a good spot. He wants to destroy you. He wants to step on your throat. He wants to kick you while you're down. He wants to add insult to injury. He wants it to go from bad to worse and from worse to worst. That's what he wants. Climaxing that you would curse God. Remember when I gave that illustration a few weeks ago about trees that fall and people that chop down trees can make a tree fall anywhere they want to? Satan is that same way. He doesn't care where you fall. He doesn't care how you fall as long as you fall away from God. Satan would love for you to keep being a person with high character that just works all the time that starts to neglect God. Satan would love for you to better yourself by abandoning people that you shouldn't abandon. Satan would love for you to just be distracted. Satan would love for you to figure it out without God. All of those things are a cursing of God. Satan is nasty in his destroying. So we get to verse seven and here's what he does. And this is even nastier. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. It's rather graphic, isn't it? Now there's no way to know, nobody knows. People try to speak, there's no way to know exactly what this is, right? Sounds like boils, covered in boils, and that's your most common answer. I heard some people say it sounds like elephantiasis. But there's no way to really know what this is. Skin disease, leprosy, something like that. But it was horrible. It was awful. Satan went out in his nastiness and wanted to hurt Job's health so much that he would curse God. That's what he's trying to do. Remember that. He wants to mess up his health so much that he would curse God. And I know you've battled health issues before. Many of us have. And whether it's a cancer that's just really taking your life or whether it's one of those that comes or goes and so you have good days, good weeks, good months and you have some really bad ones. We know what it's like to struggle with our health. And you also know how bad that can be. But have you ever been around somebody that struggles with skin issues? Dry skin, rashes, eczema, acne. Y'all, I had acne so badly in high school. From like, ninth, from like 10th grade to 12th grade, I had the worst acne you could imagine. My face was such a mess. And I remember being so, so, so self-conscious. Oh, it messed me up. I remember complaining to my parents. I remember going to the uh, dermatologist hundreds of times. And finally, we just went all in and I took the strongest of the strong and eventually it went away. You ever known anybody who says, I just wish I could rip all my skin off? But even when we have those things, we've got so many options We'll make our bed nicely. We'll turn on the fan, right? I'll, I'll lay there like this and just complain like crazy to Val when something's bothering me, like a little poison ivy that I get every spring, right? And I'll act like it's the worst thing ever. But none of that even comes close 
to what Job has. And the reason why I say that is because I think you've been there before where you just think, this is gonna be the death of me. I hate this. This is driving me crazy. I'm miserable. I've had poison ivy where I've scratched it and scratched it and scratched it. I've had poison ivy where I've scratched it till it's bleeding and I've taken a Clorox and poured it into where it's bleeding and then put a bandage on it and said, just dry it all up. And then you get this like major scar for the rest of your life from Clorox. But we've been there before where we're just miserable in our suffering. And Job make, God, Satan makes that happen to Job. It's nasty. So much so that Job has to go away, kind of the way you think of with leprosy. He has to go outside of the people, sit alone. And we see this through the rest of the book. You're gonna pick up on it more as we keep going. And he has to go away from the people and just sit there and suffer. And it feels good to him to scrape like with broken glass and scrape it for comfort. Think about that. Satan is nasty in his destroying. Satan thinks that will make Job curse God. I want to ask you here today, can physical suffering make you curse God? Would physical suffering make you turn your back on God? Would you? See, the thing about physical suffering is that we're always much easier toward it when we're not in it. It's just the way we are. Job is now dealing with this. And Satan says that will make him curse you, God. But God is the one that recommended Job to Satan the first time in chapter one and the second time now in chapter two. One commentator writes, so the stakes are very high when Satan afflicts Job with these painful sores from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. At this point, the central question of the book subtly shifts from, can a man lose everything he has and still bless God? That's the question in chapter one. And the answer is yes, Job proves it. It shifts to, can a man lose even what he is and still remain under God's blessing? For enough agony, like enough joy, can alter a person's most basic makeup. How much pain can a human being take and still nurse the fond notion that nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God? What a thought. Will you keep being Christian when you lose even your identity? Job was the most well thought of man there was. Blameless and upright. He had the best family. He had the most stuff. He was full of integrity. Everybody knew that's a man of his word. That's a man of his word. Go see Job. He'll treat you right. Hey, go get in touch with Job. He'll help you out. That was Job. And now he sits outside with no children. Life is awful. Nobody likes him. He is like the person that looks like a disgrace that nobody wants to get near. Can that person keep worshiping God? Can that person stay in the love of God? Can the nastiness of Satan destroying you, if your identity changes, Changes. Will you keep cr trusting God? Add insult to injury, we get to our third point today. 
and people's negative advice. People's negative advice. Look at verse nine, one verse for this point. Then, as if that was not bad enough, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. You ever said something to somebody and then you realized after it, that wasn't a good time for me to make that comment? You ever said that? Job's wife has no self-awareness here. She's saying things that she shouldn't say. Not to mention how awful it is what she said, but now's not the time. Next week, you're gonna see what friendship looks like. His friends come, and they don't say a word for seven days. They don't say a word. There is nothing you can say in this moment that's going to help. Husbands, don't we love it when our wives tell us that? Don't say anything. Just be here, be around, be present, right? There's a conversation or a category that we have at times called the ministry of presence. We don't need you here so that you'll say something. Matter of fact, you're trying to say too much. What you're saying is not helping, but you being here means the world to us. Job's wife speaks up with negative advice. This is his wife. This is the one who we can assume said something to the effect of better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and in health, right? We're gonna cling together, Job. I'll be your better half. I will have your back. Two become one. We're in this together, 100%, 100%. And instead, she gives him bad advice. You need to know right now that in your life, in your Christian life, and in your suffering, there will be a lot of negative advice. There will be a lot of people in your ear telling you things that you should not listen to. This is why the Bible teaches us what discernment is. We have to learn who we listen to and who we don't listen to. We have to learn that there are a lot of voices and a lot of messages and a lot of signs, aren't there? A lot of things that pop up. We gotta know who to listen to. Who is good advice? Do you seek out good advice? Do you listen to bad advice? Are you so busy that you don't have time for good advice? Do you seek the word of God to instruct you on that which you're wrestling with? Do you ask, what does the Bible say about it? What does my church think about that? What do my pastors think about that? What do we believe about this? What should I do with this? Hey, I've never heard this before. Can you shed some light? Hey, I'm trying to make this decision. Can you help me think through it? Y'all, there's a lot of bad advice out there. And our first thought is that bad advice comes from bad people. Well, that's an obvious. We're not gonna listen to them because I don't even like them. But that's not what I'm saying. This negative advice for Job comes from his wife. It comes from the person that knows him best. It comes from the person that hears him most and that he talks to most, assuming that things are normal. Negative advice from his wife. 
Mason writes, when a husband and wife are united, they find a measure of strength and mutual comfort that holds its ground against almost any amount of trouble. But when they quarrel, their troubles are aggravated tenfold. Imagine being in Job's position. You're outside the city. Everybody looks at you like you're an absolute disgrace. And your wife comes up and goes, what's up with all this integrity, Job? Who gives a rip about integrity at this point? Curse God and die. Get out of here. Be done with it all. More or less, end your life. It's not worth living. What kind of advice is that? What kind of love is that? It's negative. It's not of God. Now, here's the thing about Job's wife and her negative advice. She seems to not at all consider God. Now, this is the only mention. We had a great conversation with some other people in the church over the past couple weeks. What about Job's wife? Where, where is she and what's going on? This is the only mention in the entire Bible of Job's wife. There is nothing else. We don't know. We don't know if she was an atheist God-hater. We don't know who she was. We don't know if she just had a bad day. We don't know if she meant well and really loved him and she just was trying to help him get out of his suffering. We don't know. We don't know here. The end of Job tells us that God restores Job and he has 10 more kids. It says that at the very end. Had to be a woman in the picture for that to happen. So was it her? What happened? I don't know. There's no mention of, of, of a woman or wife again. This is it. Think about all the ways that Job has been remembered throughout the history of the world for suffering and integrity. And think about all the ways that Job's wife has been remembered throughout the history of the world. One verse, chapter two, verse nine. Curse God and die. Curse God and die. Listen, that is the very word that Satan wants. She is telling her husband to do what Satan wants. Hey, we gotta be careful when we start trying to give advice to people. We gotta know what is in the right direction. We gotta know what is an honoring of God. And we have to be careful that we are not speaking things that Satan is desiring. Parenting creates a huge responsibility. Relationships create a huge responsibility. Living among people creates a huge responsibility. But we owe it to each other to point people in the right direction. She tells him to do what Satan is wanting him to do. This is awful. But lastly, number four, Job's determined trust in God. Job's determined trust in God. Verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Now, if you're not familiar with the word foolish in the Bible, let's be careful. We today often use the word foolish like silly or goofy or just playing around or you're just not really thinking or something like that. The Bible does not use it that way. 
The Bible refers to a fool as somebody who believes there is no God. Somebody who's okay with living like God doesn't matter. Somebody who thinks I can live my life based off my own gauges of good or bad or religion or things like that. What I think is best. Everybody doing what they think is right in their own heart like we see in the book of Judges, right? That is foolish. It is foolish to live like God is not real, like God is not true, like God is not spoken, like God is not telling us that. That, that, that is what's foolish. It says that in Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and this is what Job is saying here. You sound like the women that don't walk in integrity under God. You sound like the people who don't live accountable to God. We are accountable to God. And there is never a time in our lives where we are to think, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I'm just going to do what I think is good. I'm just going to do what I think I should do. That is foolish. That's living like God does not matter. And he says, that's what you're doing. You're telling me to deal with my suffering based off the way you think about it or based off the way I feel about it or, or based off the way what would be better for me in my society or in my job or whatever. You're telling me to live my life like God's not true. That is foolish. And Job will not go there. Even though he sits outside in the ashes, scraping himself and nobody likes him, he will not go there to cursing God. He is determined to trust God. After he says that to her, he says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And this is the question that's gonna continue to come up in the book of Job and it already has many times. Do you have a place in your faith and in your beliefs and in your theology for God to allow both good and bad in our lives, for God to allow us to hurt and allow us to suffer so that he can get the greater glory out of our lives, so that he cannot bury us but plant us, so that he can work in us and mold us more into the image of Christ? Job knows this. And so his answer back to her, you think I'm only gonna take the good? Now, let's be fair. Does anybody think that we've got real religion and real Christianity and a real churchman when Job was Job in chapter one before it all went down if he's not gonna be that focused on God now? Wouldn't that be so hypocritical? Yes, it would. And we need to be the first people to admit and recognize that's not who we are. We are not here today because of how we dress. We are not here today because how pretty we think we can get. We are not here today because we can sing so loudly or, or drive our cars or whatever. No, no, no. Don't you think that for a second. That's what Satan thinks. You remember a couple weeks ago I told you that Satan is the ultimate cynic? He doesn't believe anybody. He doesn't believe anything's good. He doesn't think anything can be right and true and pure. That's what's going on here with Job's wife. Job says, hey, I know I used to have the best reputation in town. I know I was the model man around here in us. I know I had all the money. I was the wealthiest man. I had 10 kids. They were upright. Hey, I know I was the finest example. But you think my faith came just because of that? If he takes it all away, blessed be the name of the Lord in chapter one. If he decides to now start giving me evil, he must have a good plan in it. Job didn't necessarily understand it, but he said he's going to hold on. Shall we receive good and not evil? Do not be so shallow or so fake that you will only trust Christ and go to church and live for him and walk the walk if he's good to you. He's good even when we're suffering. 
Even when Satan's nasty, even when our wives or those people around us or our family are negative toward us, God is working for us. The end of verse 10 says, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Hey, over the years, there have been a few people that tried to point out he didn't sin with his lips, but maybe now he's sinning in other ways, sinning with his body or sinning with his mind and his emotions. I don't think so. I think this is another way of saying that Job is not sinning. Chapter one kind of says the same thing. Look at 122. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And now look at this. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I think what's happening, the author of Job is just trying to show us Job is still not sinning. He is still not cursing God. He is hoping. He is trusting. He is determined to trust God. Commentator Anderson says, Receive here, the word receive is a good active word implying cooperation with providence, the providence of God. This is not mere submission, he writes. This is not mere submission, commentator Anderson writes. Such positive faith is the magic stone that transmutes all to gold. For when the bad as well as the good is received at the hand of God, listen, every experience of life becomes an occasion of blessing. But the cost is high. It is easier to lower your view of God than to raise your faith to such a height. Wow. It's easier in our suffering to start to think less of God instead of starting to raise your faith and believe more. May we learn to say, I may not understand it all, but God's not the problem. God's the answer. When Job mentions shall we receive good and not evil, it opens the door for you and I to believe God allows hardship and struggle in our lives. And I believe that. I believe that. God has a purpose in our suffering. Job never gets answers, but I believe what I'm reading here in Job. And once we start to understand that God allows hardship in our lives, more questions arise. But I want to end with this. God will not allow more suffering in your life than he allowed in his own son's life. Jesus took your sins on the cross. God is not taking you somewhere that he hasn't already taken his son. If you find yourself kicked out of Jefferson County, sitting on the edge with no family left, scraping your nasty skin, may you remember that God took his son right outside Jerusalem and stripped his clothes off and nailed him to a cross for you. When we suffer, we're not alone. God is with us. And he is teaching us to connect with Christ in his suffering. When we trust in Jesus, God forgives us of our sins and brings us into a right, faithful relationship with God. May you believe him. May you believe him. Job was determined to believe. And may we as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Job. 
We thank you, God, for chapter two and just walking through these 10 verses. Father, we know that you notice all the details and that Satan is nasty. May we find comfort in you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.